it's actually really easy for people to adapt and evolve when things are actually going really good. But when things go to shit, it's harder to adapt and evolve and it makes you a lot more resilient um, and, and higher levels of perseverance as time goes on. Welcome to Moving Dialogues. I'm SC Augusto Vertan and your host. And I created this podcast because I believe in dialogue. Dialogue is how we connect and share our stories. And our stories, well, they are our superpower. So I want to connect with you to share my own personal stories, but also introduce some incredible human beings and their powerful narratives that can move your heart, but also move you into action. I hope this podcast can also help you feel that you are not alone in whatever reality or struggle you might be facing and give you support from afar. I hope this podcast can also give you tools to help you keep connecting and keep moving no matter what. So let's connect and let's get moving. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Moving Dialogues. I am so excited that you're here. Thank you for being here. I have a treat for you guys. I have a very, very special man in the house today. My very good friend and mentor, Dr. Jonathan Mike. This man is literally one of the hardest working people I know, one of the most knowledgeable people I know, and I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say. So, so give you a little bit of sense of what level of expertise we are like talking about when it comes to John. I'm going to do a proper introduction. Jonathan Mike is an exercise science and sports performance professor at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. Jonathan also earned his PhD in exercise science from the University of New Mexico at Albuquerque. He has worked as a strength and conditioning coach and has contributed to dozens of online fitness, strength, and consumer outlets in the United States. John is also a sought-after presenter nationally and internationally, having done over 40 events. He has also authored and co-authored numerous peer-reviewed and scientific publications and has written 10 book chapters related to sports nutrition and strength and conditioning. Also, he has competed in the sport of strongman, and that's actually how I met, and we're going <laughs> to tell that story in a little bit. And he's also very active researching in various areas of exercise science, showing what a lifelong learner really, really means. So guys, if you are into learning about fitness or nutrition and actually learning it through the science and evidence space, this is your guy. So welcome to the host. Dr. Jonathan Mike, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, man. That was a great intro. So thank you so much. And um, I hope that listeners will gain a a large amount of education and knowledge and um, deep thoughts for our our episode today. So thanks so much. Well, yeah, like that intro is like, it's huge, but like the amount of work and the amount of knowledge that you have, it's just like I said, you're literally one of the hardest working and most knowledgeable people I know. So I am just incredibly honored that you're taking this time to be here. So I'm sure oh, today yeah. will be it'll be amazing. I'm, I'm so. Oh yeah, let's, let's let's do it. I can't wait. Yeah. Yes, um, and um, so kind of just to start with, and 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 kind of uh, so the audience can 
get to know you a little bit more. Can you tell a little bit about your, like more about your background and your story? Like how did you first get into fitness and, and all of that? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a pretty unique story, but it's also a similar story to many other individuals before or even during you know, this time. So I'm, I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. So, um, you know, uh, upper middle class, you know, background, you know, have, have wonderful parents are still married, um, over 40 years. So I hope that, you know, one day I ever get married, I can, you know, make a, uh, a, a fourth of that, you know, time frame. Um, uh, so, Typically for me, I mean, my brother and I were always, you know, multi-sport athletes. I was a multi-sport athlete with baseball and, you know, basketball. We swam a lot and we played tennis. So we were always really active. But, um, you know, I, I come from a, a larger genetic, uh, you know, background. So I was I was never really, you know, skinny um, and wasn't really super popular at school. But um, we were always like really active. And so we were always very mobile and, you know, participated in a wide variety of sports. And then and when I was a late junior and early senior in high school, there was a set of weights in the downstairs of our basement and just started, you know, playing around with it. And, um, you know, one uh, day, this was when I was a senior in high school, one of the teachers across from uh, the hallway, and most people don't know this, but I actually attended the high school that my mom taught at, which was, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> that was a very interesting experience. And uh, of course, um, uh, perhaps another story, but the teacher across from my mom's room um, happened to teach weight training, not only at the school, but he also worked out at the same facility that I did at the time. So we just met and we started talking and, you know, he started showing me just some basic principles of, you know, resistance training. And it just, it, the bug just kind of started to develop. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then I knew that I was going to go into, you know, early college. So I wanted to start really getting in shape and I had no idea what I was going to major in, and I did have some, um, you know, interest. Um, one of those was actually music, because um, I'm also a musician. Like I, I'm an avid piano player, and I've been playing guitar for over 20 years. But I, I typically just play more piano, you know, these days. So, you know, going into the course catalog, I had no idea what I was going to major in, and I was still, you know, working out. And um, I saw this. Uh, uh, interest or this um, category called like exercise science. And of course, you know, nowadays most students, you know, do a very similar route, like, oh, like exercise science. Yes, I like to work out. Yes, I like to be active. So um, they think um, it's, uh, it sounds interesting. So they just go through it. So I was, I was in a very similar place, you know, young, you know, 18, 19 years old. And so I, I declared the major and I started taking some classes and uh, you know, traditionally, I think it's important that the audience to know that, you know, I was on a similar podcast, you know, recently, and I'll go ahead and just kind of dive a little bit deeper um, at, at the start of this. I, I am traditionally not a very strong academic individual. I did not do very well in school, uh, in middle school. I was um, always, you know, in trouble and I just couldn't focus. I was in a number of learning centers growing up, um, which were very costly and had a lot of tutors, particularly in math and, um, you know, throughout middle school and high school. And I didn't really like to read a lot. I was a terrible writer. I remember my mom had to help me on, you know, dozens and dozens of occasions in middle school and in high school with writing assignments. And I just couldn't really focus. It just wasn't really my thing. And so during that time period, 
it really transitioned over not only to high school, but the first two years of college. And, um, you know, and I'm okay, you know, sharing this because I'm obviously a very different person. You know, now my life is very different. Um, I nearly dropped out of, um, college after the first two years, my GPA was, um, right under a 2.0. And so for those that are listening to give you some perspective, the entry level for most college and universities, uh, these days is about around a 2.5 GPA. And so mine, mine was under a 2.0. So I was about to get professionally asked to leave college. Um, my grades were very low. I just wasn't focused and I was very unhappy. And so luckily, um, I had met some individuals higher up in uh, the administrative um, end of the university. And so they were just essentially godsends and just angels that that helped me, uh, you know, matriculate, you know, back in to school. And that was actually in 2002. And, um, you know, so, so for three years, uh, from 2002 to 2005, um, I did nothing but schoolwork, did nothing but academics, uh, barely left the state, uh, fall, spring, and summer. You know, during this time, I was still finishing up undergrad and I was doing an internship in strength and conditioning. And of course, I was still working out and trying to learn as much as possible. And, um, so that's kind of how it really like started. And then once I kind of got back in, you know, to school and did very well, um, I ended up graduating undergrad with a 3.2, you know, GPA. So I went from under 2.0 to 3.2 and three years. Wow. And so I, I did, yeah, I did a strength, I did a strength internship, um, uh, twice actually, well, actually it was two years, um, in a row because I really hit it off with our, you know, director at the time. And, you know, we had a good working professional relationship and, you know, I really liked being, you know, in the strength and conditioning, working with athletes, you know, doing programming, you know, doing the hands-on learning. So it was really that particular point in time that things really started to kind of go up another level in terms of, okay, where can I go with, with a career? Where can the career development process, you know, lead me next? So originally I wanted to be like a full-blown strength and conditioning coach and I, and I have been. Um, so I did that for two years. And then, um, while I was finishing up undergrad, I was, um, got interested in, um, graduate school. So I was looking at other graduate schools out of state. Um, I actually originally wanted to go to San Diego state, because they had a dual program in exercise, phys, and uh, nutrition, uh, you know, due to you know financial limitations and time, it was best for me to just stay where I was, um, you know, at, at WKU, Western Kentucky University, and um, so I ended up getting a master's, a full blown master's degree um, at the age of 23, and my first two. Uh, you know, very well-respected like certifications. And so I did my master's in three semesters and I ended up with a master's degree at, at 23 and then with a GPA of um, 3.8. So I, in the th I just want to say, that's amazing. Sorry to interrupt, but this is just mind blowing that by the time that you, like you started from below, was it below 2.0, you said? Correct. You started below 2.0 which meant that you were like so close that you would have to like leave the university. And then by the time that you did all the way up to master's, so you even, and we're going to talk about your PhD in a minute. I'm just very curious to know before we move forward that what turned that around, like to be in a mentally in that less than 2.0 mindset, how did you really manage to switch the mindset that you ended up becoming this 3.8 and up until the PhD, which you completed five years ago? Right. Like, 
what 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 happened there that kind of made that change happen in the young John back in the day? Um, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, my dad was always pretty tough on me. Um, you know, with, compared to my brother and I, I mean, my brother had always was almost the complete opposite. He excelled, always excelled, uh, and was a high achiever academically and scholastically. And I was the complete opposite. And, you know, and it's funny cause my first year of, of college was good. It was like in the low 3.0s. And then I just kind of went on a downward spiral spiral and, you know, ended up with low grades and I think at that time it was like more like a do or die type of scenario, um, you know, an adapt or die. And, you know, I and I was really young at the time. I mean, I had no idea like what the world was going to be like and, you know, what people expected, you know, out of me. But I, I knew for some reason and I'm not even sure if I can even put my finger on it today. I know nearly 20 years later that um, I, I just kind of had this awakening experience, um, like a revival type of experience and like this, uh, this epiphany that has, has been this driving force that has um, lasted, you know, for so long, but at different capacities and at different levels. So in, in each stage over the last, you know, 20 something years, um, it's the, the stage has gotten, it's been different, different capacities, but it, it more, it's funny, almost at like more frustrating levels, but more complicated levels. So it was almost, I had to go through that first um, to see what other things have to offer, you know, in life. And so, you know, when I got done with my master's, um, and I did very well, I mean, I got a 3.8 and, um, and I was one of the top, you know, ranking students in our class. And, um, you know, then I, then I didn't know what I was going to do after that. So I moved back home to Louisville and I ended up, um, working in strength and conditioning again at the university of Louisville, working more with women's sports, um, so with WKE, I was with baseball, softball, track, and swimming. And then when I was at UofL for about a year, I worked more with women's sports, like women's um, soccer, uh, softball, and field hockey. And all along trying to figure out, okay, very similar to many other, you know, students, you know, these days, you know, what's the next step? You know, where do I go from here? So even before I was finished with my master's, I actually started looking at PhD programs because even though I didn't know where the field was going to go and how innovative things would be, and this is obviously before um, social media uh, and Facebook had just launched during this time period, you know, which was late 04, early 2005, um, and then uh, so forth. So I didn't know what the feel was going to be like, um, but I knew it was going to gain momentum and become more innovative, you know, over time. So I, I figured, you know, in order for me to do the things that I want to do, uh, to be more flexible, to be more adaptable, to have higher ver levels of versatility and ended up kind of doing my own, you know, thing later, way later down the road, I knew I had to go get a PhD. And so I was looking at different programs and, um, you know, I actually applied to Arizona state twice, got turned down twice. I took the ACT and SAT three times each and got the same score three times each. <laughs> oh. And yeah. And, uh, so I didn't really know what I was going to do. And one day I actually looked, uh, in a, uh, textbook, um, which is, you know, a textbook that I've been involved with an organization, you know, this or strength organization for many years. Um, I saw this name and it looked familiar 
And I was looking in on different websites and trying to figure out where faculty members are and, you know, where they went to school and then look up those programs. So I ended up coming across this name and his name was, you know, Dr. Lynn Kravitz. And I had recognized that name before. So I had emailed him and, and, and in short, basically said I was interested in, in, in coming to their program for a, a PhD. And we had first communicated uh, in the summer of 2006. So here we are, um, you know, 14 years later and i actually started my phd my first semester in january 2007 uh with a full scholarship oh. wow amazing that's just that's just that's just mind-blowing and it's it's amazing it's just amazing to everything you just shared like that this kind of um some sort of a flame like ignited that like you and you talked about this kind of uh, awakening that you that you had younger do you want to tell more about that like what was that awakening that actually started shifting this thing that made you go all the way to the phd and finding this incredible mentor and building this incredible career that you're one of the i would say one of the you know almost leading experts in your field by now like you are mm -hmm. You're just so knowledgeable. Like, what was that awakening? Because I'm, I'm very curious about people's journeys in a sense of, um, even like, for some, it's about religion or spirituality. Was it in that right. sort of an awakening, or more, more like just awakening in the kind of a mindset level that you had? I, I think looking back, I think it was a combination of both. It was some type of, you know, spiritual entity, and it was also more of a mindset as well. And, you know, my, obviously, you know, my parents put both my brother and I, you know, through college and I'm not going to go as far as to say I didn't want to disappoint them, but I really didn't want to disappoint myself. And I wanted to see what I could do from a from a mental standpoint, as well as a physical standpoint. And it didn't really take long for that to really happen. And of course, over the years, as I, as I alluded to earlier, there's been additional levels of complication and frustration and, and, and emotional um, aspects that have built that up, but also uh, contributed to um, higher levels of, you know, thinking and adaptability and higher levels of, um, you know, work that I, you know, to this day, I'm very blessed and grateful to yeah. do the things, do the things I'm able to really do. Uh, Absolutely. And you have this, um, one of your kind of like, um, mantras or the way that you really walk in life is this kind of mindset of adapt and evolve. You talk right. a lot about adapt and evolving. Can you tell a little bit more about that, what that really, really means and how maybe others out there, listeners could be kind of embodying this and how that's really changed a lot of things for you? Yeah. And, you know, because I've always been fortunate enough to be around individuals that are, were leaders and are leaders within their respectable entities. And so when you're around that for a long time, you just kind of, you're like a sponge, you're like you just get to soak it up. And, you know, that's one of the things about my mentor who I just talked to the other day, you know, we have very similar personalities, you know, we're very outgoing, we're very animated, like we, we, there's you know, sprinkles of entertainment in there. Like we both work hard. We both want to help individuals. Um, so that just kind of was more adaptive as time goes on. And, and, uh, you know, when you're around those individuals and when your personalities are the same, you just kind of, you become that and you become more of that on, on, on a deeper level. So, uh, you know, for people that are listening, you know, when you, when you adapt, um, you have to adapt to the, your, your surroundings and your circumstances. And, a lot of it comes down to 
what is the environment that you're in, the people that you're around. And it is true. Like you're the product of the five to six people that, that you're around the most. You know, if you're around, you know, losers and people that gossip and that are negative, there's going to become a large opportunity that you're going to become that. If you, if you are around individuals who want to, you know, help contribute to the world and to society and to your industry and to create meaning and have fulfillment, then you're going to and be a product of that type of environment. So I was lucky enough to be a product of, of that environment and, and two individuals um, during my uh, doctorate years that were you know, both nationally and internationally known. So, you know, being around that obviously helped, you know, to excel my career, you know, quite a bit. And, you know, I, and I talk about this a lot with, you know, a, a being adaptive, um, but it also really goes to business as well. I mean, if you, if you have a business, whether you're an entrepreneur um, or, or you work for a you know business and or you lead a business, if you have an inability to adapt then and be innovative, you know when it comes time to you know excel and you know gain financial you know prosperity, you're going to be left behind because there's going to be somebody else that's either you know kicking your ass or somebody that has more power, um, you know more you know, influence, uh, whether it be more followers or, you know, more money. And if you cannot adapt and keep up with the current landscape, uh, you know, economic landscape or cultural landscape in your industry, uh, then you're going to be left behind really quick. And, you know, being, uh, somebody who's always tried to adapt and I, and I'd like to think I've done a pretty good job of that. Um, it, it really go, it, it shows because you're able to remain relevant for, for many years. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's kind of interesting, like thinking of the industry that you're in, like how fitness industry alone and how you've probably you've witnessed how it's changed, like that you've seen the time with Instagram, like the current reality within Instagram right now, but then also the the, the reality before um, and how 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 like the current industry like has really changed. But I love what you said about that how it's really important, the people that you're around and adapt into the environment that you're in. And also speaking of your mentor, because it's that, it's that common saying of like the five people that you spend most time with are the most important. It's like, it doesn't mean that you can't have more people than that, but also like this, the people that you most spend time with, how big of an impact those people have in your life. Right. So it's, it, it, it's just amazing to, and, and, and speaking frankly, like, you're definitely one of one of my like five people because the level of knowledge that you have not only in fitness it's also helping me to you know physically get stronger but also with dedication research wise you've really helped me to you know also now I'm doing my dissertation you're really helping me to get to the next level with with research and supporting me on that while also bringing the knowledge of business so it's 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 very good for listeners to think about and evaluate also who are those people that I spend most time with and do they really feed into my soul? Do they really feed into the person that I hope to become, right? Correct. Absolutely. There's no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going into uh, kind of continuing the journey then that you just had a big anniversary this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Five years since your PhD, like congrats! Yeah, That's yeah, it was it was five years. Uh, May six, I can't, I can't believe it. I mean, I I just don't know where the time goes. I mean, I remember, I mean, I always remember it. I mean, it was just literally just like yesterday. I can tell you what I wore. I can tell you who was in the room. I can I can tell you, um, 
you know, that we brought bagels and water and cream cheese and snacks. And <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I remember uh, very vividly and, and um, you know, so I actually just posted a, a post about it on my Instagram uh, yesterday for May 6th. So uh, very, uh, to this day, my, my biggest and most proudest uh, accomplishment to date, um, even though I, I know and, and very confident that uh, there'll be more uh, higher achievements, you know, coming. Oh. Well, absolutely. I, I have no doubt about that. But I'm curious, like, what would you tell those people out there who might be like you were back in the day? Maybe they are not academically as strong and studying might be really difficult for them, even if they might be trying, but they're kind of like struggling just to succeed academically. But they might have that kind of a fire that I, I would want to grow and be in that area. And even because I, I just think it's mind blowing, like your journey of below 2.0, making it all the way to PhD. And guys, like he com like it took eight years for you to complete your PhD, wasn't it? Yeah, it was eight. It was eight years total. Um, I did my first four years, obviously there, and I was on scholarship. And then when I was off scholarship, I mean, I didn't have an income coming in, so I ended up moving back, you know, home to you know to Louisville. And the idea at the time was to get some type of part time or full time job and start doing data collection there. Of course, I just didn't really know what the data collection process really entailed because you know, even though I had like a great mentor. There were so many other working parts during that time that were, you know, were very limited and I didn't have any income and I ended up and uh, I will share also share this with your audience that um, I was I was able to get a job. So I was I actually worked in semi private training at the same time. I also substitute taught for a year. I substitute taught elementary, middle and high school for a year just to kind of get some um, additional income. And it was a very frustrating you know, time. And, um, you know, so I made a decision to move back to Albuquerque. Um, and, and the person I was dating at the time, we, we moved back to Albuquerque in January of 2013. And then two and a half years later, uh, May 6, 2015, I successfully defended. Uh, but we also we had a tremendous amount of delays. I mean, there was a lot of things going on, um, you know, at home that was um, very, um, you know, frustrating and it took a lot of energy and time and a lot of it took time and energy away from working on the PhD in terms of the writing portion. Um, at the same time, like I was also doing other things in the industry. I started to actually speak. I was writing for publications and I was doing other podcasts. I wrote, you know, some uh, book chapters. And so I was able to do other really cool, you know, industry things while I was actually finishing, you know, my doctorate and doing data collection. And, you know, we had a lot of delays uh, with the uh, data collection process that were totally out of my control and out of my team's control. So that goes back to what we just, you know, referenced and runs in parallel. We, you have to be able to adapt and evolve. Mm -hmm. And when things are not going your way, whether they're in, in your control or out of control, you have to adapt and you have to evolve. And if you're not able to do that, especially during times of crisis, and that's the key that I think is really great to tell you know, your audience here is that it's actually really easy for people to adapt and evolve when things are actually going really good. But when things go to shit, it's harder to adapt and evolve and it makes you a lot more resilient um, and, and higher levels of perseverance as time goes on. Absolutely. So what advice would you give, give to 
because that's exactly right. Like, of course, when things are going really great, you adapt and you evolve and you get creative and you have all the ideas. But let's say if someone is going through a really rough time and 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 they're struggling or a setback hits, like how do you how do you bounce back? How did you have how have you bounced back from some of those setbacks that you've had, even if it was during your PhD or just in general in your life? How do you how do you bounce back into that? You know, that's a really tough question. And I think it's it's highly dependent on the person that you are, your personality, who you have around you, how much support do you have? Um, do you dwell on things? I mean, yes, we all we're all critical of ourselves. I mean, we we are always our worst enemy. And I think if you have a good support system, then it, it really helps things, even though you may not be able to see any light in the tunnel, there will be light in a sense. But if you surround yourself with the people that are supportive and you just remain, you know, steadfast and, and, and patient uh, and just continue to work hard and roll up your sleeves, you know, get your hands, you know, and feet and your head in the dirt a little bit, then you will, you will find that you will have some type of success and then, and even, you know, later on and, and, and people notice those things and it, it should not go unnoticed, but, you know, certainly at the doctor level, there's a tremendous amount of emotional and mental anguish that occurs. And I can tell you numerous times that I, I wanted to quit uh, on at least a half a dozen of occasions, probably more. Um, but I knew that, you know, and my advisor, you know, we still talk, you know, to this day and we're still close that I remember him telling me, and this was probably, um, you know, probably seven or eight or so years ago that, um, you know, the PhD is going to open up a million more doors and it most certainly has. <laughs> oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you have, you have so many exciting, exciting things, things happening. Like you actually got a partnership with Under Armour recently, didn't you? You know, I did, and um, that was about five to six years in the making, and um, it, it, I just started up last year. I was actually meeting a a, a colleague um, for a quick business meeting, and and um, this guy comes up to me, and I was obviously wearing all Under Armour at the time. We were at, we were at a Starbucks. I was wearing <laughs> Under Armour shoes, leggings, shorts, shirts, and um, he just so happened to be a, 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 a marketer and representative for Under Armour, and we kept in touch, and... I'm about to get my next shipment of uh, Under Armour apparel. So um, that that just started back in February, and um, I get it every quarter, and I'm thrilled to death, and I look forward to um, doing more, you know, with that company as time goes on. You know, currently, you know, we're in some, you know, economic and kind of a, a down period right now, but uh, I think as we, you know, continue on with, you know, positive you know, economic, um, you know, stances that, uh, things will really kind of take off even more with, with Under Armour. And, um, so yeah, really, really stoked about that. So. Yeah. That's so exciting. Like, and, and I've been, cause you and I, we've worked ever since what, 2018 we've worked together. Yeah. And, almost two um, years. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and actually funny side story, John and I, we met, Four years ago, you said, was it? Four yeah, years just ago? over just over four years ago. I believe it was January 2016. Yeah, and and I actually I I wrote my one of my first major stories about John, and about his. Well, he was a he was a professor at my university at that time, but also he had a very interesting angle of being in the strongman competitions. Tell a little bit about that because my audience obviously. They, they might not be fitness professionals or being kind of in the industry. Tell me, like, how did that come about? What is that about? And if you haven't seen 
a photo of John. John is a big dude. So, so it's like, like being in strongman competitions, this is not like when we speak about strength with Dr. Jonathan Mike, it is actual kind of strength that you can find videos on his Instagram that he's lifting a couch. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, my, my historical, um, viewpoint for, you know, from experience with strongman was that when I first moved to Albuquerque in 2007, I was walking through our facility and I saw this poster of, you know, a local strongman competition. And of course I'd always watched it on TV. So I just wanted to go check it out and then ended up meeting, uh, one of the promoters at the time. And, you know, a month or so, you know, later I actually went over, you know, to his house and started to train, you know, with the equipment. And of course I never picked up any strongman stuff and you see these logs and these, you know, heavy ass, you know, Atlas stones, these two, 300 pound concrete balls that you have no idea like what the hell it is when you even look at it, much less what to do with it. So, um, you know, I was very young. I was about 25 and, um, yeah, 25 or 26. And, um, so I just started, you know, training with the equipment. And then later that summer, summer 2007, I actually did my first contest um, by kind of by accident. I mean, I was kind of talked into doing it. And then I ended up getting fourth out of many competitors. And, you know, just to kind of do something fun and something different. And then the next summer, I actually did one again and, you know, got fourth again. And then after that, I started to get a lot more serious with it. Um, so I started competing a little bit more and ended up getting like second and third place and ended up qualifying for a national competition, which I did not attend uh, mainly because of um, the, the financial a aspect and um, probably also because I knew I would get killed and get dead last. But it's all good. You know, it's, it's about the experience and, you know, train, train with some really good guys at the time. And and then when I moved back to Albuquerque to finish my doctorate, um, I, you know, I, I train the events, you know, on a fairly regular basis, but, um, it's been, um, it's been almost 10 years since I've actually done a full blown official strongman competition, even though that I still do the, the actual implements themselves, um, on a fairly regular basis or, or when I can just to try and, you know, um, feel whole again in a sense. But yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I've done like eight strongman competitions and I really would like to, um, try some jujitsu, um, um, Brazilian jujitsu sometime in the, in, in the near future. Um, I mean, I am, I guess I'm kind of a big guy. I mean, I'm six, four, I float between 270 and 280 pounds like, throughout the year. So, um, you know, I don't, I mean, that's, yes, it's bigger than average, but I mean, you can certainly, um, see me standing out from, from a mile away for, for, for most people. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's been a good experience. I mean, strongman is really, it's, it's, it's a rough sport. It can be. And, uh, um, so I, for a long while, even like my first couple of years after my PhD or about a year and a half or so after my PhD, um, I was about 300 pounds, maybe 305, you know, at the heaviest. And then, um, you know, I took a second job and I started just leaning down a little bit and now I'm a lot leaner, you know, so between 270 and 280 year round. So I may not be the strongest I've ever been, but performance wise, um, I'm, I'm probably the best I, I've ever been. And of course the gyms being closed for the last couple of months, like really sucks. But so once again, I've had to adapt and evolve and do home workouts and, you know, push and pull my car and, you know, and other things <laughs> just to uh, try to keep in shape a little bit. <laughs> Just pull my car, no big deal. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Look, just awesome. So, actually, I want to switch gears a little bit, and and you were just touching on the fact that obviously we're living 
quite very challenging times in many ways. And and obviously, when it comes to um, people's fitness routines, like you said, we have to adapt and we have to evolve. And and I was wondering, like, how has um, how has this really affected your kind of fitness journey, or have you have you witnessed any sort of changes that you've noticed in the industry? And more importantly, what kind of like tips would you give for people out there? Because I obviously speak about connection and movement a bit. So I always speak about that. And and for me, like the physical exercise and physical movement, I just believe and you know what Tony Robbins says, like motion creates emotion. Right. That is like one of the biggest things that I live by that even if I feel low or something, I move my body, whether it's going for a run, doing a proper workout, yoga, or even just taking a few breaths can change a state. So I'd love to touch your brain on the fact that what is kind of your take on kind of how this kind of physical exercise and especially now in this current reality, it can be quite tricky to do like any kind of tips, how people can keep on moving, keep on moving their bodies and taking care of themselves physically, but also yeah, I, as well. It's a, it's, you know, that's a wonderful question. And it goes back to being able to adapt and, and evolve. I think, you know, once the gym started closing, you know, down, there was this huge onslaught of, you know, everyone's doing home workouts, home workouts, home workouts. And yes, I mean, people are still doing those. And I think one of the takeaways, I guess, lessons that I've learned through this process of most commercial and even a lot of private gyms being closed down is not only do you have to adapt and evolve, but to utilize any and all resources that you can to be able to use it as some type of load on your body or be able to, you know, work out with it. So, you know, I have taken like, you know, five gallon water jugs and doing kettlebell, you know, movements and hip hinging movements and, you know, presses and, you know, things with my towel or things like with your chair, or with your couch or with your car, it's things that you would normally never see people really do, but because of the current, you know, culture, um, that most places are shut down. Like you just, you start to kind of really see things and use things in a different way that you never really thought about before. And it just never really clicked. So it, it forces you to, um, further have, you know, critical and, and analytical thinking, which I might add as a side note is something that is really missing exclusively from most educational programs. Um, in colleges and universities, although that's a different conversation. But in terms of the other part of your question with with industry, um, you know, for for a number of years, uh, online training was was popular, and, and it still is. And of course, in person training is always going to be there. There's always going to be a demand for it. At the same time, I mean, again, like you have to really adapt. I mean, now you have you know trainers that either cannot see clients or for a limited amount of time, or, you know, they don't have a location. So, you know, they have to adapt as well. So I'm not the only one in that boat. There's, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands or millions of people that, that are, um, have to, you know, kind of wither the storm, you know, a little bit. So it's a challenge. And I think, you know, this whole, um, you know, COVID-19 stuff is, um, a wake up call for us as a nation economically you know, educationally. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I think you're what you're going to see, not only with my industry and, you know, people like myself, um, but you're going to see even more um, and unique innovation, you know, and, and creation uh, as time goes on between now and the next couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, that actually links nicely to 
like we've just had to get really creative like you were saying that right now we can't go to the gym but you know use anything that you have that you know anything as a load and and I, I live in a double room in London so my gym is literally like you know just few meter space in between my bed and my desk so it's but what would you give advice for those especially that there might be some listeners who really don't have a fitness is is a struggle for them so they might get on it and then they you know fell off like they really want to keep that as a routine but it's not as like embodied and ingrained as a lifestyle as is is with you and I what would you give right. as an advice for those to like really like keep like finding that because for some people it might be that they're not comfortable working out at home they go to the gym with their PT and because they are uncomfortable moving you know in front of their families or at home like what what advice would you give to them I think some of the advice that I would give is if it's not a, if you're not at a point in time where you can, it's, it is a, just a lifestyle or in, in, entrenched in your lifestyle, then you have to find something else that provides you a sense of purpose and meaning. And, you know, when I've trained many clients, um, you know, before, you know, um, whether in the private sector or even stuff online and obviously like in person, uh, especially when I was working um, in semi-private training, most clients, uh, if you're, if you're not, in, if you're not in to competition or various types of competition, most people just want to use, you know, fitness and health and working out as a vehicle to extend happiness in other areas of their life. And so that's what they're really, really wanting. They want to be happy. They want to look good. They want to feel good. And so it doesn't matter if you're lifting weights or doing body weight things or, you know, taking a walk or running upstairs, um, you know, you have to link it to something else that is going to make you happy. You have to link working out to something else that is going to help you fundamentally and, and kind of mold a collaboration within working out and something else that you really want to achieve. Because some people, that's why you see a lot of people who like they start working out and then they're consistent and then they drop off for three weeks or like three months or whatever it is, because they, ha they don't have the ability and have not yet found something to link their happiness or working out with something else personally or professionally. So when you develop a link with those things or these missing links, then you're in much better, better, better position to really succeed with your training and also succeed personally and professionally with other areas of your life. I love that you say that because even though like, well, I do life coaching, but even with me and let's say a client happens to have a, a fitness related goal, let's say they, I want to run a marathon and usually like the way to start kind of diving into that before we even starting to come up with an action plan or what they need to do to get there is the question, why is this important to you? Why do you want to run a marathon? And if, and it kind of links to what you were saying is that you find the purpose and the meaning. And if there is not strong enough purpose and meaning behind there, let's say they say, oh, because my sister is doing, it, I want to do it too. It's like, uh, right. That's not quite strong. So I just love that you say that because it's really about connecting with the purpose and meaning. And like you said with that, is it going to make you feel better? And for many, it's that I feel at my best when I move my body. And that's like my strong belief. Like you can change your state when you move your body. So I'm so glad that you you touched on that. Thank you for saying that. Oh, um, yeah. So kind of like um, as a kind of a last stretch for this 
this talk that we're having, I really want to kind of touch on a little bit deeper. So obviously you're in this kind of exercise science and fitness space, and you've spent obviously a lot of time in that space. And, and you also spend time obviously in academia, but kind of thinking this kind of fitness space, it can be quite egoistic and in a way hedonic in a way. I think it's gotten better because I feel like in the past few years, they have brought a lot of more like this kind of self-help, personal development and mental health field into that as well and more like realness. But how do you really kind of keep your ego in, in check? And especially, you know, right now when you've gotten forward with your career and especially for some of the listeners and for myself, like I'm interested in getting into the big guns. I'm, I'm right. interested in getting along to the best of the best of my industry, some of the best coaches out there and get to that level. So obviously there can be moments that the ego can start to sneak in. Like, how do you really kind of keep the ego in check and remain humble? Because you are so knowledgeable, but you're also one of the like most humble guys I know. So I would love for you to touch on that if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I would say easily it comes down to two factors and components for me. It, it will likely be different for everybody because obviously, you know, you have individual experiences. But for me, the two biggest things are remembering all the bad times that I've had and the down periods. So that's number one. And um, the other one is having people around me that keep it real uh, and, you know, th I, that I don't want to be surrounded by yes people. I want to be around people that you know, if it's yes, it's yes. If it's no, I, I want to know why, you know, what, what's the, you know, what's the rationale, what's the reasoning. And I'm very open to new ideas and trying different things, but I don't want to be around yes people. I want to be around people that keep it real, you know, that don't have some type of, you know, hidden agenda that are supportive. And um, so those are probably the two biggest factors for me. And I would say most of the time, it's actually the first factor which is remembering all the shit that I've had to go through, you know, even leading up to the doctorate during it and in post and, you know, and even today. So it, it's remembering and keeping those very close that remain a large driving force um, for me to continue the things that, you know, that, that, that I want to do. And, you know, uh, you know, watching and reading other people, you know, listening, obviously like to the rock story and listening to guys like, you know, Tom Bailu and Ed Milet and all those, you know, guys, you know, within the entrepreneurial space and, you know, even people in, in the, in the fitness space. And I, I would actually say, because I know a lot of top you know, guys, you know, in my industry, you know, for a long time, and, and I see them uh, a lot throughout the year. Um, one of the things that I would like to share at least acknowledge is I don't see a lot of people in my space, um, you know, whether it's fitness, um, you know, or fitness business, you know, strength and conditioning. Um, you actually see it more in more on the, like the celebrity type of, you know, in or like Hollywood. But um, I, I wish that more people in my space and strength and conditioning or even at the university level what I, and, and I'm sure they have, but you know, you just don't really hear about it a lot. I wish they would actually speak more about a lot of their failures than just their successes, because it really provides a large framework and a very um, significant perspective for students to know, or even coaches and trainers. Um, that because because the reason I say that is everybody always looks at the successes, all the achievements that you've that you've done. 
you know, places that you go, things that you've written, et cetera, et cetera. But nobody ever stops to think about what the hell they had to do to actually get to where they are. They don't stop to see all the failures and the, and the shortcomings and the, you know, the frustrations mentally, emotionally, or, or physically, or all the no's that people say. So I would say that I, you know, the reason I like to you know, stay humble is because I, I remember those very frustrating times very vividly. And that has helped me to, um, you know, remain grounded as much as possible. Mm. Absolutely. And it's, it's really in the, and some people are very like, um, when, when we say a word failure, people can get like, Oh, I never fail. I mean, we all do. We all make mistakes, but it's also, I think if looking at the failures and setbacks is that it's not focusing on the failure even, but and I'm sure this applies to you as well. Like what did I learn from it? Right. What did I learn from that? what happened that setback and and even like when we do fail like we we messed up but like facing that so i i love that you touched on that because i think and i i love that you i'm just sorry i'm still taking all of that in honestly because that like really hit me home that we can't just be celebrating and focusing on the moments of success because we we need to also connect with the wrongdoings, because I and I always say that the negative, the the tough, the hardships are are potential, and I'm sure that you know, and like you said, because of those things that you went through, you've become the strongest you've been. You've your performance has gotten better because you've learned and evolved and adapted, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no question. I mean, I think it's important that I mean, you you fail every day at something. You take life risk every day, you know, with something. So it's, it's the, um, I think people get confused about passion versus purpose. I mean, like, for example, I'm, I'm passionate about playing the piano, but that's not my purpose in life. There's no ROI, uh, you know, for that, for me, but like to somebody like Elton John, you know, or Billy Joel, like that's their purpose. They, they, you know, they make a billion dollars a year, you know, for that. So at, at the same time, like I'm, my passion, um, is to, you know, educate the masses and, and be as most influential as I can be, you know, across the US, across the globe, you know, and bring high level content and, and educate individuals. Um, that's my passion, but that's also my purpose in addition to, um, you know, contributing to the field and contributing to the industry uh, for, for a, a lifelong and bring evidence-based, you know, um, fitness and practice and continue to move the needle in a very positive direction. So, I think a lot of people get confused. Well, their passion has to be their purpose or vice versa. I mean, you can have multiple areas of passion and multiple areas of purpose. Um, some are not going to align perfectly and some are not always going to directly connect. Um, and so that's kind of what it is like for me. I mean, I know what my passion is. I know what my purpose is. I know that I want to create, you know, meaning and, and bring value. Um, and I want, you know, I want my name to echo, you know, throughout the industry, um, for as long as it can. And, you know, to be able to do that again, you have to adapt, you have to evolve. And I think it's also important that you have to reinvent yourself. Um, I've had to reinvent myself, you know, several times I've had a lot of, um, you know, frustrating times and, you know, because of those times, it's, it's made me a lot more resilient. 
Um, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of say, a, uh, I guess a, a quote, I mean, I may mess this up a little bit, but I heard this the other day and it was basically, you know, the, the, the reasonable man or woman adapts, um, themselves to the world. Um, but the unreasonable man or woman adapts the world to themselves. Um, therefore, um, the, uh, depends, um, success depends on the unreasonable man. So, um, again, having going to adapt and evolve and, you know, bringing lifelong value, um, to your specific, um, audiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, um, and I think what you were just saying about is really kind of, and everything that you've shared and, and thank you so much for this conversation and, and we're, we're just wrapping up here, but I think also like living your truth, you know, like. I think that is, and I've known you, you know, for four years, and I think that is one of your strongest things. And and also in your Instagram post, like, hey, let's lay some truth. Okay, let let's right. get to the truth. Like, <laughs> let's get to the truth. <laughs> um, and 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 that's really kind of uh, personally my mission um, and purpose in life is to really help people to connect to their heart and coach people to find that connection to their heart space and to that truth. Could you touch on that a little bit, kind of like how to, how have you really found that kind of strength in your truth and embodying your truth and being who you are and where you've, where you've ended up right now? Sure. I think over the last probably three to five years, um, I think one of my truths that I speak at, I mean, not only when I post things, but it's as far as more of a you know, being uh, mindful and having interconnectedness and having large amounts of self-awareness. I think one of the things that, that I like to think makes me unique is that I, I'm somebody who doesn't just talk about things like I actually do them. You know, you see me actually do these exercises. You see me at conferences. You see me write like I'm actually doing the things. I'm not somebody that gets up there and just talks about things and, and, and lacks execution or lacks the physical demonstration, you know, purpose of it. And, you know, I, I, I walk the talk and I and I talk the walk and um, kind of like what. Um, you know, I guess it was Teddy Roosevelt or, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that I really pride myself on is actually being a, a, a practitioner and can speak from both a scientific perspective and a practitioner perspective and also kind of mix in and, and blend in a little bit of the entrepreneurship uh, aspect as well. And, and, and it goes back to, I mean, people, you need skill acquisition. And you can't just have a high levels of education. Like you need skills. People want to hire skills, whether it's, you know, helping people, you know, coaching or physical skills or building things or whatever it is, or technology or, you know, apps or whatever it is. You have to be innovative. You have to be creative. And that's what the world needs more of. And I think, you know, I like to think that you and I are, are in a good position to help contribute to that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, John. I feel like I could talk with you for hours, but I'm afraid we have to wrap up. Um, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could talk with you forever and I've just gained so much wisdom that I've had to like, oh yeah, I'm hosting. I need to think about what am I saying because I'm also taking it in. Thank you for being here first and foremost. Um, there's a couple of thank things you. I'd like to do to wrap up. Firstly, 
and foremostly, um, how can people connect with you the best if they want to? And guys, honestly, and I, I said this in the beginning, if you're interested in fitness and you want to learn the best, best exercises and not just the best exercises to get you in shape, but also the science, you need to follow this guy. So how can they follow you and connect with you? Yeah, uh, thanks. I mean, you can um, um, hit me up on my website is drjmike.com. You can also look me up on Instagram at drjmike. I'm also on Twitter at uh, jmike125. And also you can type in my full name on Facebook. So, um, Or you can just type in my name on Google and I come up on the first three to four pages. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to locate. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I... I always like to end the end the session kind of in a fun, well, almost like a little bit of a fun game with. Um, so how this is going to work, I'm going to give you um, a few beginnings of a sentence. And then you would just need to kind of finish the sentence in a quite of a short manner. Would you okay. like to? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's let's do, it. do it. OK, so the first one is living your truth means being the absolute best at what you do and continue to be a driving force and a undeniable, um, you know, person that can deliver in every way possible. Oh, wow. I love that. Okay. Second one is connection to me means. Connection to me means showing empathy and showing um, true listening skills and helping other people find their why and their purpose. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Then the third one is movement to me means. Movement to me means uh, connecting mind, body, and uh, spirit and gaining all the large benefits of exercise to decrease disease risk, get results, and be happy. Mm. And then finally, science to me means? Science is, to me, is being able, the hallmark of a true scientist is being able to alter and change your mind and perspective in the face of new evidence and being adaptable and being a lifelong student. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. It means so much that you took the time and and I'm hoping that, and I'm sure this will bring a lot of value to my audience. So thank you so much again for being here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'll see you next time, guys. And as I always say, keep connecting, keep moving. Hello, lovelies. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say a huge thank you for listening to this episode of Moving Dialogues. If you're wanting to support the growth of this podcast, there is a donation link below so I can keep on bringing even more moving stories your way better than ever. I thank you so much for your continuous support. It doesn't go unnoticed. I'll see you next time. Much love.